calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving god, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Sarah Michelle Gower of Buffy Welcome to We Stand Together, a pop culture academic symposium. Yup, we are the pop culture professors, smart people, dumb topics. The dumbest topics around, <laughs> baby. It doesn't get dumber than this. So true. It doesn't get dumber than me. I'm Caitlin Bitsagai. And it sure don't get dumber than me. I'm Lauren Brickman. But well, we're Josh in a bit. Uh, because we have taught courses at the college level, have master's degrees, and yet... Our real interest is standing. Yeah, yeah. Thus, we stand together. You know, and it's it's so beautiful, though, that my true passion in life for standing has been coming into my classroom more and more. And, you know, I'm just so proud of, of the standing I see in the youth today, mm-hmm. each and every day. Yes, it's, one it's must a, be. It's a beautiful thing to behold. And... You know, I and it's a beautiful feeling to be mm-hmm. standing something, you know, to be okay. an obsessive fan of something. And I'm just like, I I can't stop thinking about something that we both experienced last night. Oh, you have a stand of the week that I do. you would like to discuss. Okay. I, I, I I simply must discuss it. I <laughs> like I, I have to talk about it. I've been I've been thinking about it nonstop. And, you know, former guest of this show and absolute madman, J.W. Crump. <laughs> has a brand new live comedy game show called Faker's Dozen. And you know I'm standing it. You know I'm standing it. You know what's crazy? This is one of those weeks I'm standing it too. We saw it together. We mm-hmm. loved it. It was so beautiful <laughs> in its I mean, insanity. Were we jealous at times yeah. that he thought of a game that involves naming Yankee Candle smells? And we didn't. Yeah. Not only... Was there sniffing and touching and rubbing <laughs> of Yankee candles? Um, 
but they played a ballad version of their Power Rangers Turbo theme song yeah. while it happened. Like, this is high concept art. Yeah. Lauren and I will definitely be looking back at our mm-hmm. life of mistakes that we made mm-hmm. and why we were not the creators of this. But J.W. Crump, our wonderful guest on our Tyra Banks episode was. And uh, we'll just have to deal with it by going back to his next show, December 13th at Asylum NYC. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you better believe we are we are following Faker's Dozen from here on out. I I loved it. It oh, was yeah. so good. It was so good. We're fakers. We're absolute fakers. We're changing our social handles. <laughs> yeah. And JW, if you're listening to this, this is us asking to be on the show. <laughs> and when you sell it, to, to definitely get like a PA gay oh my assistant. God. Assistant to Mr. Crump. Oh, my God. I would love to be <laughs> to be in the room where it happens would just be incredible. Iconic. Absolutely legendary. I 10 out of 10 will fake again. <laughs> One thousand percent. But, you know, we have some art we're bringing to the people mm-hmm. today, Lauren. We yeah. have some important art. You're listening to Fanfic Fest 2021. You sure are, baby, because Fanfic Fest 2020 it was so much fun. We decided this has to be an annual event. And some of you, probably, you know, relatives of mine who I've somehow uh, tricked into listening to this, you're probably wondering, what is fan fiction? Well, mm-hmm. fan fiction is a work of literary uh, prose that is written by a fan of something. It can be a fan of a TV show, a movie, a person. Uh, The (laughs) idea is that when you are standing for something, sometimes you stand it so hard, you want to get in there. You want to write about it yourself. Um, A popular example of this is the movie Fifty Shades of Grey is actually Twilight fan fiction. Yes. We love a good fanfic because we love fans and we love fandom. And so what you can expect from this episode, you're not just going to be listening to Caitlin. You're not just going to be listening to me. You're not just, we don't have one guest. We mm-hmm. have several former guests of the show, several stand stands, fans of this show who have submitted original love letters to characters, to properties. A lot of this is just celebrity worship, though. Like, yeah. let's be honest today. <laughs> and we wouldn't have it any other way. Mm-mm. Please lock in for. Fanfic Fest 2021. And to start it off, we've got a stand stand named Caitlin Gilbert. Great name. We love it. Mm-hmm. With the one after all this time. Give it up for Caitlin Gilbert. Jen stepped out of her Mercedes, handed her keys to the valet, and checked herself out one last time in the reflection of the tall ground floor windows of the Sunset Tower Hotel. It was one of those chilly December nights in Los Angeles that reminded her of being a kid dreaming of a white Christmas. What was Courtney up to? It had been a vague text. Christmas drinks at the Tower Bar, 7 p.m. She replied yes quickly despite the small pit in her gut that reminded her she'd rather be at home, curled up into bed in an early hour, drifting to sleep as reruns of her show, her family, played in the background. She made her way to the elevator while she double-checked to see if there was a response from Courtney to her cordial but inquiring, so excited for tonight, who's all coming, smiley face, text. No such luck. She ran through her castmates in her mind. Lisa was out as she'd been sick. The mats were both shooting out of town. Besides Courtney and herself, that only left David. And the possibility of seeing him tonight widened the pit in her stomach to a canyon. They hadn't seen each other since the reunion, when they'd admitted in front of a live studio audience and to the world that they'd had feelings for each other when they worked together. 
Jem was glad David was the one who'd said it because despite her decades of training and Emmy, a Golden Globe nomination, she was certain it'd be obvious that the feelings lingered. The elevator dinged at the top floor and she stepped out, examining the small but stylish crowd. She somehow didn't recognize a single person, except Courtney and her partner Johnny, who were conversing with the bartender. She made her way over. Jen! Courtney exclaimed, clearly already a holiday-themed cocktail or two in. I'm so glad you're here. Of course, honey, I wouldn't miss it. The next thing she knew, Courtney was handing her a drink and guiding her to her place at a long, festively decorated table. A grand Christmas tree looming in the corner next to a crackling fireplace. She'd gotten used to being alone, sure. She even loved it most of the time, but tonight it felt different. She longed to be on someone's arm again and quickly disappeared into a fantasy of a warm man sitting next to her at this table, in the middle of a story, but grabbing her hand to let her know he will always be first and foremost hers. Jen snapped out of her trance when the elevator dinged. She knew it was him before the doors were even fully open, like his soul stepped out as soon as it could to greet hers. He was older than the man she knew well with fine lines and new places and fillers where his cheeks used to be, but he was the same David. Crooked smile, perfect hair, infectious laugh. He greeted Courtney first and Jen's heart quickened in anticipation. He shook each guest's hand one by one, something she wished she'd thought to do, until he finally got to her. Hi, he said. Hey, you, she said back. He forewent the standard Hollywood air kiss greeting and instead wrapped her into a hug. She let his familiar scent of vanilla and oak wash over her and wondered if he was similarly soaking in her waft of essential oils and a vino daily moisturizer. Their embrace was over too quickly. They looked at each other but didn't speak, sitting in that awkward but not entirely comfortable silence. Despite their wordlessness, Jen was aware of how much was between them. Ten years of a working relationship, nearly 30 years of friendship, three failed marriages, a few almost moments in a world of what-ifs. What if they had gotten together back then? What if they'd shared more than just on-screen kisses? What if they'd spent every moment of the past nearly 20 years together since the show wrapped together instead of apart? Jen thought of Brad and of Justin. She still had love for both of them in different ways. Brad, the remnants of that aching, crazy-for-each-other, passionate love that was never built to last. Justin, her best friend with whom the romance faded. But with David, it was different. It wasn't just that she loved him. It was as though he was a part of her. It was like a piece of her was missing whenever they were apart, and in that moment, she felt whole. Jen tried not to think about how close to whole she felt with him, next to her all night. Not quite touching. Next to each other, but not together. A casual table conversation about holiday plans, children's, and what they all thought about the current season of succession. Painful when she knew everything she'd wanted was in reach. Where was fate when she needed it most? After an hour or two of polite conversation, two martinis, and putting all of that her energy into not shooting David a longing glance, Jen decided it was time to go. She walked into the elevator and watched the door close behind her, but right as they were about to touch, a ding caught her by surprise and the doors opened wide. There he was, David, standing outside of them. He got into the elevator with her, not saying a word. Jen felt tension so often as a person people knew, as a celebrity, that she was never certain if it was one-sided or two, but she was sure that her heart was beating faster than normal, and the ride to the ground floor felt longer than usual. I love court, but talking to her friends is exhausting, David said around floor 12, breaking the silence. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I was feeling bad for how much I was wishing the whole time that I was home with my dogs. David laughed. We always were the two introverts on set off on our own in the corner. Jen froze. She thought they were off in the corner alone together for very different reasons. The elevator opened its doors once again to greet the lobby. 
Jen felt a pinch in her heart knowing they were about to part. For once, she was thankful to her chronic dry eyes as she knew it would be impossible to start crying like she wanted to. There's a beautiful Christmas tree over there, David pointed to the opposite side of the lobby. Did you see it? Jen shook her head no, and David gestured for her to follow him. It was a large, probably fake, beautiful, but nothing extraordinary Christmas tree, but David's enthusiasm for it rubbed off on her. She was convinced it was the most beautiful sight she'd ever seen. The only thing missing is the holiday armadillo, Jen said. A little embarrassed to quote the show they were on together as her castmates constantly teased her for being the one to rewatch it the most, but any shame faded as David grinned. I know, I don't even celebrate Christmas, but there's something so magical about this time of year. It feels like anything could happen. He looked at her so intently that Jen thought she would pass out for a moment. David, she squeaked out. Jen, I can't stop thinking about you. I haven't been able to stop thinking about you since the reunion. He looked at her. Behind the fine lines, behind the filler, she saw the man that she first fell in love with. I haven't been able to stop thinking about you either. Her heart felt flush. If it weren't for her recent clean bill of health or her two hours of Pilates a day, she might worry she was actually in atrial fibrillation. David took a step closer to her, then another. Then a few more until finally they were almost touching. He leaned down to meet her and she tilted her head up towards him, their lips locking and falling into both a familiar pattern and an entirely new exploration. After a few breathtaking moments, they pulled away. Does this mean we're on a break? Jen asked. She couldn't help herself. They would laugh. Jen? It's like I've been on a break my whole life. Just waiting and waiting for you. Hello, this is Victoria Adel, reading an original fanfiction. It is a reader insert fanfic. So if you were listening to this, when I say your name, think your name. Um, And I used the pronoun she, but uh, please feel free to um, use, you know, imagine whatever pronoun makes you feel more comfortable. Okay, here we go. Your name was so excited to be visiting the greatest place in the world, London. And at Christmas time, she'd always been obsessed with all things British since she was a little kid who fell in love with the Spice Girls. That led to a deep Harry Potter obsession, but she'd rejected those books now because J.K. Rowling was a turf. Anyway, your name was walking down the street drinking a London fog latte when someone walked into her, sending her delicious drink down to the sidewalk of London. I'm so sorry, the person said. Their voice was strangely familiar. Your name looked up and gasped. It was Brett Goldstein, a.k.a. Ted Lasso's handsome heartthrob, Roy Kent. Oh my God, you're Brett Goldstein, your name said. Brett laughed good-naturedly, running a hand through his perfect, wonderful beard. I am, he said. Let me buy you a new coffee. Sorry, I didn't catch your name. Oh, she said. I'm your name. And it was T, actually. Your name, Brett repeated, like he was remembering it. Let's go get you a new drink. A strong and sexy arm on her back guided her across the street and into the coffee shop where Brett bought two London Fogs, one for each of them. I actually have to head to the Ted Lasso offices today, he said with a wry smile. 
While Roy Kent was all bravado and loud words, your name was discovering Brett was a total sweetheart. If you're not busy, do you want to come? Of course, your name said yes. It was a quick walk to the Ted Lasso offices, and Brett kept your name laughing the whole time. Being an American amongst British people was tougher than she'd ever imagined when she fantasized about visiting. But talking to Brett was so simple. They just clicked. At the offices, Brett gave your name a complete tour. Thankfully, a ton of the actors were there. Toheep Jimo, Cola Bocchini, Phil Dunster, Billy Harris. Oh my God, your name said. Is that Juno Temple and Hannah Wenningham? It was. They were both wearing amazing coats that made them look cozy, but also extremely hot. Hello, Brett, Hannah said. Who's this now? This is your name, Brett said. I ran into her outside. He smiled at your name like she was the best part of his day. Today's your lucky day, your name, Juno said. Her hair was in one of those giant ponytails that looked absolutely amazing. Your name had ordered a fake ponytail from an Instagram ad, hoping to achieve the same look. But she always felt too awkward to try wearing it out. Not anymore. Brett, Juno said. Did you tell your name about our special guest stars today? Guest stars, she asked. Brett smiled. Come on, he said, taking your arm, taking her arm again to lead her down a hallway. Juno and Hannah followed. Brett threw open the door to the green room. and She heard another familiar voice. Now, guys, the voice said, this is a big deal for us. So we all need to be on our best behavior. The voice belonged to just about the greatest actor, comedian, and TV host in the whole world. Kermit the Frog. The room was bursting to the limits with the Muppets. Guys, Brett said, meet your name. Hi, your name, they yelled in unison. Yeah, your name could get used to London. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. 
Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Caitlin Bitsagai, and this is my story, Christine's Lament. Christine felt bittersweet as she packed up her car for Utah. She felt no ambivalence about leaving her husband of 27 years, Cody Brown, because he was awful. Even though he was the father of her five beloved daughters, and also her son, Peyton, he was married to anywhere from two to three other women. Christine always wanted to be a third wife, the party wife, if you will which is why she chose to join a family alongside first wife Mary Brown and second wife Janelle Brown, all married to Cody Brown. Trouble began when fourth wife Robin joined the family. Christine hoped she and Robin would be best friends, as Christine believed Mary and Janelle were best friends, because Christine's understanding of social dynamics is quite puzzling. However, over the last year, Robin had been different wearing masks, and social distancing for reasons Christine couldn't understand. The romance between Christine and Cody had been dwindling for a while, mostly since he married someone else. But the end really came when Cody didn't want to return to their home, Utah, preferring to stay in Arizona on a plot of land that they all hate. Christine felt that they would always return to the home state of Lala Kent to grow old as a fivesome or a foursome, To be honest, Christine didn't really understand what Mary's deal was at this point. So she wanted to take her three daughters who still live with her home to Utah for the holidays, including Truly, who is largely considered to be one of the top-tier Brown children. Christine was confident in her decision, but still apprehensive to be on her own. After all, Christine had never been single or even in a relationship with only two people. She didn't know how to do things like write checks or download apps. And what was Kim Kardashian, she always wondered. Maybe someone would tell her. But Christine felt confident that she could put on the best Thanksgiving ever without Janelle's oldest son, Logan, to help her make toast and other essentials. Christine's strength came from a group of women who had changed her life forever with the concept of girl power and aggressively printed leggings, her LuLaRoe Facebook group. Even though she had lived with her sister wives for over three decades, she finally understood how women could empower each other. It's 2021, and the LuLaRoe empire is only beginning. She couldn't wait to get to Utah and force her three daughters, Truly and the two Haley Duff ones, to model the leggings. They didn't need Cody, or Mary, or Janelle, or Robin. They only needed leggings. She slammed the car door and looked back at a place that would never be home again. It's Coyote Pass, Jake. Wow, Caitlin. <laughs> I was surprised no one else submitted one like that. No, that was okay. kind of weird to me. Well, here's my question. Yeah. You led me to believe that you were writing a fan fiction specifically for this episode. I feel hmm. like... 
I feel like this has been kicking around for a while. I don't think that you necessarily did this for the episode. Okay. I mean, now we're having like a professorial moment because, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I don't know if it fulfilled everything at the assignment, <laughs> but is it art? Am I am yeah. I actually showing you that I master the skills and mm-hmm. concepts and mm-hmm. that you have gone through to me? Yeah. No, you know, I think that's fair. You know, I think uh, actually a, a big question in teaching pedagogy sometimes, especially in art school, is like, do students need to constantly be creating new pieces for different for different classes, right? Or is there something to be said about a student workshopping a piece in multiple classrooms? And, you know, I really feel like you're workshopping this piece because I feel like this is something you've been thinking about for much longer than we've been planning this episode. I'll say that. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with the word workshop because it is finished. Well, no, it's it's it, 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 it is it is perfect. Uh, it's perfect now. I'm submitting it to some agents and stuff. Yeah. Well, I hope you're sending it to Christine directly. Might be too soon. Mm-hmm. Or is it just the right time? <laughs> too late. Far oh, too, too late. late. Too late. Too late. Too late. <laughs> That's fair. It might well, be far too late. <laughs> well, uh, another uh, like-minded gal. Uh, the wonderful friend of the show, Rachel Chapman, submitted this piece that I believe will change lives. It already has because I'm different. Hello, this is my fanfic about Jason Sudeikis and Anna Marie Tendler. It's called Because of Olivia. As if it was fate, Jason Sudeikis and Anna Marie Tendler arrived at the diner at the exact same time. They both kind of knew each other from friends of friends. Jason knew Anna Marie's ex-husband from Saturday Night Live, and she had been introduced to Jason a few times at red carpet events, but it was always in passing. They gave each other a polite smile, but were internally hoping they wouldn't have to say anything. Small talk was neither of their favorite things to do. Unfortunately, Veselka was busy and full, which means every waiter was also busy handling their tables. It was hard getting anyone's attention, but eventually someone came by. Yes, for two. Jason and Anna Maria looked at each other and back at the waiter. No, we're not together. I only have one table available right now. It'll be a 40-minute wait for another one. Who is here first? Jason being polite. Uh, you go. I can wait. No, you technically got here before me. We got here at the same time. I insist you take it. Would you want to sit at the table together? Uh, sure. So, one table? Yes, thank you. The waiter leads Jason and Anna Marie to their table in the corner and hands them two menus. They both sit and stare at their menus in silence. I always get the same thing here. Me too. I always get pierogies, they say at the same time. They're the best. They really are. John and I used to split the plate of eight. It's a better deal than the individual plates of four. Anna Marie now realizes that she brought up her ex-husband again. She tries to change the subject. I'm sorry, um, Olivia and I used to do the same thing. Anna Marie smiles, remembering that Jason is also going through a recent breakup. I'm sorry. Me too. The next day, Jason wakes up to a million text notifications from his publicist. His phone rings and he picks it up. Jason, babe, finally, I've been trying to get a hold of you all morning. Buddy, you're supposed to tell me when you're going on a date. Uh, what? Is all over the tabloids. You and John Mulaney's ex. Wait, what? N- no, that wasn't a date. We just ended up there together and there were no other tables. You can be honest with me, babe. Honestly, 
I'm surprised I didn't think of this myself. This is perfect publicity for you. You two rebounding together. Everyone loves it. It's like a win-win for the brokenhearted. Jason realizes he's getting a phone call from a mystery number. Nate, uh, I'm getting another call. I'll call you back. Yeah, call me back. We can talk next steps. Jason switches over to the other call. Hello? Oh, good. It's actually your number. I was worried. Anna Marie? Yeah, sorry. Anyway, I don't know if you saw, but some photo of us at Veselka last night leaked, and there's rumors we're dating. <laughs> I just uh, want to say I'm sorry. I know sitting at the table together was my idea. I just felt bad. Whoa, don't apologize. It was an honest mistake, and I had a great time. You did? Just then, Jason gets a text notification from Olivia Wilde. It reads, can we talk? Jason is stunned by this and goes silent. Um, uh, hello? Are you still there? Oh, sorry. I just got a text from Olivia. Oh, wow. Do you think it's about us? I guess so. How are you feeling? I don't know. She hasn't reached out since, you know. Yeah, I know. John hasn't reached out either. I should hear what she has to say, but I'll call you right back. You don't have to. No, I want to. It'll be just a second. Okay. Jason hangs up and calls Olivia Wilde. Jason, hey, how are you? What do you want? Wow, okay. I just wanted to check in, that's all. We haven't talked since since you left me for Harry fucking Styles. Well, at least I'm not rebounding with someone's ex-wife. Oh, so this is about Anna Marie. No, I just... Are you jealous? No, I just generally wanted to see how you were doing, but it seems like you're too immature for discussion right now. Okay, whatever. At the same time, Anna Marie gets a phone call from her ex, John Mulaney. Unlike Jason, Anna Marie is not ready to talk to John, so she lets it go to voicemail. She listens to it. Oh, hey, Anna Marie, it's me. Uh, well, of course it's me. Uh, you could tell. Anyway... I just wanted to see how you're doing. I saw that, well, call me back. Just as the voicemail ends, Anna Marie gets another phone call from Jason. She picks up angry from the John Mulaney voicemail. Jason is also angry. So, how was it? Bad. Of course, it's okay if they break your heart, but you're not allowed to move on. Right? I mean, what? Are you mad too? John just called me about the photos. Of course. It's like he wants me to stay sad and thinking about him forever. Hey, I've got a crazy idea. I'm so upset nothing sounds crazy right now. Great. How would you feel about pretending to date to make our exes jealous? What? You know, kind of like last night, we can pretend to date for the tabloids to get back at Olivia and John. There is a silence as Anna Marie ponders this. You know, never mind. It was stupid. I'm in. Great. Hi, I'm Shamara Hernandez, and I'm reading something I wrote called When the Sun Goes Down. Where am I even? Stella was mystified as she stepped out of the subway station, just like she was every time she ventured east of the Hoboken Path stop. As a recent transplant from Georgia to downtown Jersey City for work, 
her newfound northerner status hadn't yet matured into fluency with the subway system. She could deal with brief train rides between cities in New Jersey, no problem. But the A-train? That was a bridge and tunnel too far for Stella. Looking at her Google Pixel puzzlingly for answers, she concluded that she got off the train at the right stop, but must have gotten the exit wrong. Only five more stops after the river. She committed it to memory. There she was, looking at a vibrant neighborhood with bodegas and fire hydrants everywhere, instead of at skyscrapers of cool gray and Broadway theaters off in the distance. This really isn't Bryant Park, she admitted under her breath. She was correct, of course. And because her new office mate was meeting her at Bryant Park with tickets to Freestyle of Supreme on Broadway, she really couldn't afford to be this late or this wrong. A quick glance at the intersection. Audubon and 175th Street? She turned to the station signage behind her. Express only. Oh, okay. So my stop was 200 blocks ago, but the train was running express. Great. Stella started walking, meandering really, looking for a Starbucks to sit in to plot her next move. There were none in her eyeline, but several mom and pop places with welcoming people dotted all around the street corners in groups of one, three, five. She realized it's just like Jersey City, but more out loud somehow when <gasps> Stella's shoe heel got stuck in some uneven asphalt as she crossed the street. She was halfway in and out of harm's way, unsure how she'd get out of it in time. An older woman gestured to her from the curb, speaking in Spanish as if to say, girl, you're in the street, why don't you move? Stella took five years of advanced French. She could fend for herself en français, but not in Spanish. A city bus became larger and larger as it approached her at a considerable speed. She struggled to remember her Latin, Latin language cognates. Uh, how do you say help me? Two strong arms lifted her out of the rubble and back onto the sidewalk to safety. It's all happening so fast, but not so fast that she doesn't take in the strong sandalwood cologne and the crisp white pleats of his work shirt. She instinctively grabbed onto his chest for support as she stood up. It was firm and curved in that way that only very blessed pectoral muscles get to be. There was some applause on the street from onlookers. For the first time, she looked up to see his face. He was six foot something and his jawline played zero games. Stella, who had just been trying to remember Spanish, apparently forgot the English phrase for thank you for saving my life. But six foot something asked for a third time, are you okay? Are you good? I'm so, uh, thank you. Oh my gosh. Uh, you. Her left hand was still on his chest after she gained her balance. She realized her fingers were touching a name tag. Ben, she read. He lifted her, his hand to cover hers. It was all Stella could do not to avert her eyes to the 15 hardworking muscles that made that motion possible. Resting his fingertips on hers, he moved them over to the right, revealing two extra letters. Benny, sorry, and thank you. Don't worry about it. You can call me Ben. Oh, just me? Stella joked sweetly. Yes, just you. She was suddenly okay missing the Broadway show. Listen, I, I want to grab you a jacket from my office down the hall, but I don't want to leave me. 
She finished his sentence. No, I don't want you to try anything crazy like crossing the street again. I'm just going to grab a jacket or a blanket. It gets chilly when the sun goes down. Stella reached up for his arm, gripping him. I think I can handle that. The end. The following is an excerpt from the young adult fan fiction entitled Alone, written in approximately 2001 by myself. Chapter 2. Do you think she's dead? I heard a voice whisper. No, I felt a pulse, another whispered back. Still dazed, I slowly opened my eyes. Is this heaven? I asked stupidly. Only then did I look around to see five concerned faces sigh five sighs of relief. Not exactly, cutie, one with curly hair smiled. Are you all right? Well, I'm alive. This got a bit of a chuckle from the five guys around me. Thank God, one of them said. We were really worried you weren't going to make it. And with this rain, we aren't going to get to a hospital for at least another hour. I then noticed... I was on what looked like a bus, without all the seats, but with carpets and couches. Out the windows, I saw the trees rolling by. Where am I? You're on a tour bus. Justin here was looking out the window and saw you laying on the grass. We had the driver pull over and we carried you in. The faces around me started to look familiar. I pushed a wet strand of my dirty blonde hair out of my face. I rubbed my eyes. Are you, are you guys in sync? That would be us, one of them said. I'm, I know who you are. You're Lance, you're JC, you're Joey, you're Chris, and you're Justin. I went around pointing my finger, naming them. I'm Jessica. I'm a fan, or at least I was. What, you don't like us anymore, Chris smiled. No, I do. It's just, I mean, I don't think I deserve to be categorized as a fan. I haven't even heard any of your songs since It's Gonna Be Me. That's all right. A fan is a fan is a fan is a fan, JC said. Is a fan, Joey joked. Well, it's not that I didn't want to listen to them, but I really just, well, it's been a hard month. They nodded sympathetically, but they had no idea... They had no clue what I was going through, the heavy burden I bared. Slowly, they all kind of walked off to go do something. I suddenly remembered my manners. Thank you for taking me. They all looked up from what they were doing and acknowledged my thanks. Hey, Justin said, walking over to me. How are you feeling? <laughs> I'm wet, but I'm okay. Oh yeah, your clothes are still wet. Here, he said, fumbling through a drawer nearby. You can wear these if you want. He handed me a pair of jeans, a baby blue sweatshirt, socks, and a pair of boxers. They probably won't fit, but they're dry. I blushed and thanked him. He led me to the bathroom. This bus was a lot bigger than a school bus, I soon realized. I quickly changed in the bathroom my cold body finally feeling warm in Justin's clothes. Hmm, what some girls would give to be in my place right now. 
I stepped out of the bathroom, leaving my clothes in the hamper as Justin had instructed me. Comfy? Justin asked. I looked down. The pants fit me at the waist, but were a little baggy. The shirt, also a little long, fit me all right. Yep, thanks again. So, wanna talk? What about? Well, how about why you were lying at the side of the highway? And about your hard month? I sighed, feeling a pang in my heart. His blue eyes looked into mine. I was helpless to him. So, I told him. Wow, that was an incredible piece of literature, of of artistry by the person who creates our beautiful original artwork each week, Mikey DeFrancisco. Uh, folks, if you haven't already started doing your holiday shopping and I know you love pop culture because you're listening to this show. Go check out the Compass Rose. Uh, it, we are always tagging them in our original art. That is Mike DeFrancisco's online store. And you can get amazing all kinds of stuff. Everything from sweatshirts to mugs. There's a We Stand Book Club sweatshirt still available, I believe, on there, too. So you, you got to get your Compass Rose merch. I, I bought some totes for some family members last mm-hmm. year. Huge hits. Huge hits. You know what else is a huge hit? I think I do. Our next, our next author, uh, who, funnily enough, was on the Smash episode with Mike DeFrancisco. I'm talking about the one, the only, Benjamin Farha. She didn't know what to do, who or what to choose, what life would be irrevocably changed. She found her fingers gliding across the spines all stacked up on top of each other, so much potential flowing through them. She swallowed, knowing the power to unleash that potential lay in her, only to be unlocked by her choice. Who to team with? What material to use? Which strengths will match hers so that they may seize control? She stood from her desk, making her way into the kitchen so as to refill her large coffee cup. She glanced down at the farmhouse cursive scrawled across the porcelain. Time's up, she smirked. Reese walked back to her study. Two hours remained until her World Book Day Instagram Live, and she knew how to fill her time. She had decisions to make. Upon re-entry, she stopped at the small pedestal beside the door. Gazing at the golden statue atop it, she picked up the metal woman who's holding the world, her wings standing upright. It reminded her of Nicole, and then of what could be next. Maybe a bath would help. As the tub and her spacious boudoir filled, Reese lit a calming eucalyptus candle and gave thanks for the swag bag from which it came. The wick disappeared amongst the flame, and she thought of Carrie and all the sputtering, exhaustive little fires of their work. She sighed, knowing she could do better. Aware that her actions have the weight to change the zeitgeist, Reese slid into the bath. World Book Day always invigorated the entrepreneurial and artistic side of her. Where's the inspo today? She reflected. This time with Jen has been so fruitful and exciting, but what comes after the morning? Other than afternoon tequilas with Mindy. Maybe she should go older? Sally, perhaps. Diane? Hmm. No. The world wasn't ready for a recent Sarah Michelle moment, but she was looking forward to those intentions. So is Ryan, she thought to herself accompanied by a chuckle. 
Her phone lit up. Seeing the name for the thousandth time made her eyes roll. She knew it was a plea for offerings. Poor Toby. The Pleasantville reunion was just not in the cards right now. She made a mental note to make sure Joan Allen was on her Christmas newsletter list and played with the bubbles surrounding her. All of a sudden, reset upright, her brain buzzing. She quickly toweled off and threw herself into a light cotton denim jumper. Humming the tune to Perfect Day, she opened the McGuire text. Hey, honey, she typed ferociously. Hope you're staying well and healthy. Send. Can you send me Dunst's number? Reese grinned. Feeling the genius flow through her body, she grabbed the top manuscript off the stack on her desk, skipped out the front door, and settled into her comfortable, handcrafted birchwood porch swing. Toby Maguire returned with three texts in a row. The first, a gif of himself as Spider-Man, shooting a web at her. The second, a contact entitled, My Mary Jane. And the third, another gif. This one of Leonardo DiCaprio toasting her. Momentarily filled with great pity, Reese's mind went where it often had before. Winslet. Could she? Would she? For heaven's sakes, Diaz did it, and there's no Oscar in her office. A voice in the back of her head echoed, Maybe in your fifties. And she quickly saved Kirsten's number. Reese set a timer for one hour, giving her enough time to read half a book and jump online to celebrate her most favorite holiday. After, of course, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Oprah's birthday, and if you'd asked her before 2019, the Golden Globes. She broke the spine of her newest book club option, settling in for a focused yet vulnerable speed read, calmed by the notion that she'd added the newest name to her must-elevate list on the person side. She was eager to decide today's edition to the property side. Knowing that every project she touched seemed to turn to gold, Reese turned to chapter one of the We Stand textbook and began her newest conquest. Wow. I, I've known Ben since we were in middle school, and I don't think I've ever been as moved or inspired by something he's created. And I've known him half my life. No, my question is, did he create that? Or is that like a rumor he heard that Reese is interested? Like, is he just kind of doing like journalism more, maybe? Um, I think this is a journalism, literary, I think it's a hybrid. I think it's, I think it's, it's everything, I assume. Okay. Yeah. Great. Incredible work. Incredible work. Well, we received this submission by the Argyle, knocked our socks off. It's called Professional Development. And we asked friend of the show, Letitia DiVenuto, to perform it. And wow, what a powerful combo. Professional Development by the Argyle, Sex in the City, and Just Like That. Miranda Hobbs stood outside Henrietta Hudson's, one of the last remaining lesbian bars in the country. It was just beginning to snow, making Miranda close her plaid flannel jacket tighter around herself as she took a deep breath. I can do this, she thought as she pulled open the door. Sounds of raucous laughter and jazzy Christmas music walloped Miranda as she made her way inside. She took off her scarf, also plaid, as she scanned the bar, finding a sectioned-off group of tables for some kind of private event. A sign in red and green black lettering read, Queer Professionals Holiday Party. It took Miranda four more readings of the sign before she felt brave enough to make her way past the bar and over across the dance floor. She turned around halfway there, of course, deciding that it was ridiculous to join the party before getting a drink in her hand. Certainly not because she was nervous and needed more time before introducing herself as queer to someone she wasn't married to. Just showing up at the bar had taken a monumental effort and, really, 
Isn't that good enough for a new experience? And Miranda noticed a polite hand waving gently just in front of her. Miranda's eyes focused now, as she saw the hand was attached to the absolute coolest person she had ever seen. They looked exactly like Dr. Callie Torres from Grey's, except with an impossibly sick haircut and wearing a dark three-piece suit. Need something in your hand before you jump into the pit? The stranger asked with a warm grin. Me too, they said. But Miranda didn't reply and only stared and smiled. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I am a professional, Miranda spat out nervously. A queer professional. My favorite kind. I'm Jay. Let's get you a drink. Jay effortlessly led them the rest of the way to the bar, out of the way of the annoyed queers trying to dance around where Miranda had zoned out. Totally not panicking. Mind if I buy this round? Jay asked as Miranda tried to sit in the bar stool like a normal person but couldn't manage it. Ended up crisscross applesauce with her chin resting on her hand. Classic bisexual sitting position. Even if Miranda didn't quite know that stereotype just yet. <laughs> yes, I'd like that. I'm Miranda. You get the Cosmos, I'll get the bourbon sidecars? She tried to eke out casually. Alrighty. <laughs> Jay laughed as they held two fingers in the air to flag down the bartender. That nervous, huh? I haven't been here since it was the cubbyhole back in 89, and to be honest, this is more than I talked to anyone when I came here back then. Che raised their bourbon and Miranda grabbed hers. They raised shot glasses and Che toasted. To the cubbyhole, forever filled by Lady Henrietta Hudson. Clank! And thank you. I'm honored. May I ask what changed? Between then and now. Che ignored a throng of NYU students who were obviously hoping for some attention from the hottest comedian DJ in the city. Miranda thought for a second, looking into Che's kind but in a sexy comedian DJ way eyes. Lots of things, I suppose. Working on myself over the years. Unlearning harmful stereotypes about queer and especially bisexual people through forming meaningful relationships and increased visibility of well-written LGBTQIA plus characters in media. Do you watch Grey's by any chance? No, Jay said softly while leaning in closer to Miranda. But hearing you talk like that might make me give it a try. You're very convincing. Certainly a professional at it, that's for sure. Miranda raised an eyebrow. I haven't told you what I do. Che laughed and said, <laughs> If I had to guess, I'd say politics. Your outfit has, I'm a lawyer taking a night off and don't know how to handle it vibes. I dig the competing plaids. Miranda raised her pink Cosmo and said, To professional development. Before winking, flashing Che the tiniest hint of her red and green plaid boxer briefs and clicking their glasses together. The end. Until and just like that makes its canon. Well, I am, I'm just, I'm just actually having the best time because LG, who wrote that piece and Letitia, who is a friend of yours, but until she was on the show, I had never met Letitia and LG, I've only um, met through Instagram and I'm just really being overwhelmed by the power of Instagram and how it can bring artists <laughs> together. Um, I'm feeling really moved because my God, uh, I don't know. I just... The limitlessness of social media sometimes is really beautiful. Hey, what I've always said is social media, always positive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For me, it has been, um, you know, I, I don't know where I'd be without all of our stand stands who slide into our DMs each week and make me not feel so crazy. I, I, thank you all. This is me just saying well, thank you. Now, now we have a little bit of a debate because mm -hmm. you also uh, wrote a fic. Oh, so. As far as not so crazy, I guess it's a sliding scale. Okay, well, um, I wasn't sure if you noticed that I had slipped one into the drive. Uh, yeah, so I guess, I guess now the cat's out of the bag, I guess I will share it. <laughs>
yeah, this is um, this is a piece that's been on my mind f- for a while now, and um, I don't know if it's so much of a fan fiction as it is a a whisper of a dream. I okay. now present to you all a fever dream <laughs> by Lauren Brickman. <laughs> there was simply no denying it. James was in a no-good, terrible, awful mood. And he hated it. It was the holiday season. His season, the time of year he felt most like himself, usually. Except this year, it felt like nobody really wanted him around. No matter what James did or said, it seemed like he couldn't get anything right lately. He went from being the person at the top of the guest list being the person firmly in the middle, always invited but seldom wanted. James was down in the dumps. Not even his favorite hot cocoa, or should we say his favorite hot cocoa with whiskey, was helping. As James sat there staring into the fireplace, pondering how he had fallen from grace, he heard his favorite song come on the radio. And they danced all night to the best song ever. (sighs) He sighed. Mm. There was still something that could put a smile on his face. One Direction. Yes, One Direction always managed to put a smile on his face, no matter how blue he was. And that's when he realized what he had to do. He realized that if One Direction could put a smile on his face when he was feeling his all-time lowest, well then, he could probably get other people smiling, too, with the power of One Direction. It was in that moment James knew that if he wanted to be America's sweetheart again, he was going to have to get his boys back together. He'd floated the idea around the lads before, thinking that their friendship was maybe a little deeper than it turned out to be. But this time, this time was going to be different. This time it had to be different. It wasn't just because he wanted to be delighted by them. It was because he needed them to save him. And he knew that even if their friendship had more limits than he'd thought before, he knew that the guys cared. He knew that Liam and Niall and Louie, and Harry, and even God-forsaken Zane, that they were true blue gentlemen, and gentlemen always rise to the occasion. James knew what he had to do. He grabbed his phone, he blew up the group chat, and called an emergency meeting. Later that night, the lads trickled in one by one. First Liam with a fresh batch of eggnog, Then Louie, he came empty-handed, but he had that beautiful smile. Niall came with a fresh basket of muffins he'd made that morning. And Zane showed up with some very expensive-looking water. And finally, the angel of the evening, Harry himself, walked in the door, holding teddy bears for each of them. They sat around, holding their teddy bears, eating their muffins, drinking their eggnog, having the time of their lives as lads so often do. When James finally found the courage in him to ask for what he needed. Harry, Niall, Liam, Zane, Louis, 
you're probably wondering why I asked you here. They all nodded and said yes. We were wondering, but we didn't want to ask. They were so polite. James looked them all in the eye, one at a time. And he said, I promised myself after the last time I asked, and you said no, that I'd never ask again, that I'd let you come to me. But boys, America hates me. They hate me. They, they hate me for doing cats. They hate me for doing the prom. They hate that I am even being speculated to be in Wicked. I've overstayed my welcome somehow at this party that is fame, and I need you. I need you to help me get in America's good graces again, to help me get into the world's good graces again. Let me be the one that brings back One Direction. Come, have a late, late night, and do me a solid. The boys looked around, and they felt unsure of what to do. They too knew that the world needed them to come back together, but were they ready? Finally, it was Niall who said, Gentlemen, we owe it not just to James. We owe it to our fans, especially Ariel Gitlin and Victoria Edel, because they, they have turned non-believers into believers. They've had a rough year, so they deserve to know that we love them and that we're paying attention. And so... One Direction and James Corden hopped in James's car and they carpooled karaoke their way to the set of The Late Late Show where One Direction came together again. And the world found peace. Student debt was canceled. War ended. Famine ended. Because all you need is the love of a boy band to make anything possible. But it should be noted that James Corden did not book the wool in Wicked, and he took some time out of the spotlight. And ultimately, that, coupled with him helping get 1T together, allowed him to find some relative peace once again. So yeah, that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I also hope that one is journalism. Yeah. No, well, actually, I, I should be honest and, and tell everyone, I didn't write that. I just, I f- have a friend who works in late night television and they found james's diary and they mailed it to me so that's just an excerpt from james's diary this is just oh this was just him trying to do positive visualization and manifestation honestly whatever improves yourself Mm -hmm. um that Mm -hmm. works yeah so i I stole that that was a stolen diary entry okay do we you don't we talked about admitting to crimes on the pod (laughs) I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, you know, I stop admitting to one crime and I start confessing to another. What can I say? I'm on a spree. I'm on a spree. It's the Christmas season. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Well, this has been just so much fun. It has been so much fun. We hope you will have a wonderful holiday. And here's the thing. I know we're all pretty busy. We've got Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. We've got other holidays. Perhaps you are a teacher. You're wrapping up the semester. Mm -hmm. Other careers are busy too. And life's hard, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. In 2022, January 26th, caveat 930, we stand together will be returning to the live <gasps> stage. Oh yes. my goodness, it's oh my goodness, 2 months from now we're going to be back together in the same room. So just open the Google Cal, mm-hmm. put in 9:30 Wednesday the 26th. You're you're booked. 
Yeah. You're booked. And 930 is such a great time. Get get some dens in the Lower East Side beforehand. Then come out and laugh. And great news stand stands who don't live in New York City. It's going to be available to stream. It's streamed. Are you kidding? I'm not kidding. So our stand stands, I know we got a couple of you in Canada. I know we got a one or two of you in Uzbekistan. I've seen mm-hmm. the numbers. We've had some New Zealand downloads. And guess what? For $10, you know, whatever the, the conversion is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you can stream this show. For, the, for our tri-state folk, get on the train, get on the bus. You're coming January 26. We can't wait to see you. We can't wait to see you. And in the meantime, if you're feeling in the holiday spirit, go ahead if you haven't already and leave us a five-star review. How fun. How fun. We might read it. Also, if you're not already following us on Instagram, go smash that follow button at We Stand Social because you could end up just like our friends, Caitlin Gilbert and the Argyle and and so many others, like past guest Chris Lewis, you know, all of our fabulous collaborators, we're finding them on the social media. So come connect, have fun, play with us on the internet. We are thankful for <laughs> you. In all seriousness, we love doing this show. Mm-hmm, you don't mm-hmm. keep us sane, but you keep us sane, like where mm-hmm. we would be, it'd be worse. So thank, thank you so you. much for thank listening. You. We love you. We do. We're thankful for you. We're living our fanfic dream. Yeah, I actually am. Um, this is being recorded uh, a week before Thanksgiving. And next week, I'm going to be living the fanfiction of joining Caitlin's family. <laughs> As a, Lauren, they already guessed that. <laughs> you just you've provided no new info to the listener right now. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Well, have a great time with your your family, your chosen family, or just sitting around by yourself if that's what you enjoy. Who cares? Who cares? Have a great you one, Stan Stans. Bye. Bye. Bye.